Jesus, I am overjoyed to meet you face to face. You've been getting quite a name all around the place. Healing cripples, raising from the dead. Now I understand your God. At least that's what you've said. So you want the Christ? You're the great Jesus Christ. Prove to me that you're divine. Change my water into wine. That's all you need to. Then I'll know it's all true. Come on, King of the Jews. Hello and welcome to this episode of Irreligiosophy, the one true podcast, and the only podcast to curse a fig tree for not bearing fruit out of season. I don't know what that means. I know, because you didn't fucking prepare for the podcast, you dick. It is a move unprecedented in the history of this podcast in any iteration. Ah, shit. The more things change, Matt. The more they get drunk? What? No. Oh. Let's uh, go over iTunes reviews. Yay, iTunes reviews! This is good for my Christian growth. A three-star review by Corey Flowers. This podcast helps me to be strengthened on why I'm a Christian. I like to understand why atheists believe what they believe, and I like to evaluate the arguments for atheism from sources like this podcast. Although I would love to see atheists come to Christ, I respect other views that help me understand my own on a deeper level. Thanks, guys. Respect. I spit on it. Well, uh, we respect the Christians also, as, as he knows if he listens to this podcast. What I don't understand is we respect them so much, Matt, that this fucker only gave us a three-star review. What? Fuck you, asshole. That's it. And now we're insulting Christians. Our that is... time of respect for Christians is over. Three stars is not enough respect for me. <laughs> I crave more respect. I deserve less, but I want more. I deserve Christian respect. If it wasn't for me, how would Christians know how stupid they are? Still my favorite podcast, a five-star review by Bukori. This is the one podcast where I keep all the episodes on my iPad so I can listen to them again and again. I play them for my kids, and they love them. I can't believe he plays them for his children. (laughs) This is not a children's podcast. What is going to happen to the next generation, Matt, growing up on our podcast? They're going to swear a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And they're going to have a little too much penis talk around the house. Steven37 gives us five stars, further light in knowledge. Great resurrection of the old podcast. I will update this review and try to make Chuck and the new guy like me. If only they would come hang out with me. Since I left the Mormon church, I get shunned an awful lot. If he buys us beer, I'll hang out with him. Well, I won't. I don't like him. Oh. He seems... Then I replace my opinion with yours. <laughs> don't you think he seems a little needy? A little clingy? That's me, though. Somebody love me. A five-star review called Podcast by Most Refined. If you want a podcast where two guys say things about stuff, then this somewhat hard-to-pronounce podcast should satisfy your need. Yes, that is my favorite review ever. Oh my god, here is your new favorite review. Population One, five-star review by Matt's number one fan. Did you write this podcast review? (laughs) I should have. What? Huge fan of this podcast and have listened and re-listened to far too many episodes than I'm willing to admit. I just wanted to say that Matt is definitely an upgrade host-wise, and he is far more witty than certain other hosts. Take that, Chuck. This is now my (laughs) podcast. Oh, fuck. God damn it. This is the Matt Wakefield Ego Hour with guest host, the other guy. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Well, that's it. I will seed control this podcast to you today, though. That's it. Fuck iTunes reviews. I'm not reading anymore. (laughs) Oh, sure. I get one. I get one thing. (laughs) I can't have any nice stuff. (laughs) One positive review for Matt, and I'm done. (laughs) Fucking reviews. Uh, population one. It's, uh, yep. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> uh, Matt, if it makes you feel any better, I think I did more damage to this, uh, podcast with my science episode than has ever been done before. 
Well, I'm not through yet, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, skunk dicks? Skunk dicks. Do we have enough time for skunk dicks? We've got plenty of time. Uh, why not? We have time to just sit here and jaw. Mark's a pretty short gospel. There's not much going on in there. <laughs> uh, okay, we got two skunk dicks and one honorable mention. What do you got? So remember when the Pope said even atheists who do good can be redeemed? Yeah, that made me feel a lot better about myself. I know. I was uh, I was relieved after that. I was like, thank God. Good Whew. God. That was a close um, one. That's bullshit, apparently. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> I take it back. Vatican spokesman, the Reverend Thomas Rosica. Rosica? Rosica? He released a statement uh, quoting a section of the Catechism of the Catholic Church saying that people who reject the teachings of Jesus, that's you, um, cannot attain salvation. Damn it. Quote, all salvation – I think he said it like this. All salvation comes from Christ. Um, <laughs> I was trying to do my Palpatine voice. <laughs> the head to the church, which is his body. Wait, Jesus is just a head? Son of a bitch. So we can't be redeemed? Nope. Isn't the Pope infallible? Uh, I'm going with the Pope on this one. <laughs> yes, but Rosica used logic because he employed the word hence. Uh-oh. Check this out. When it's convenient for him. Hence. They cannot be saved. Who, <laughs> knowing the church as founded by Christ and necessary for his salvation, would refuse to enter her or remain in her? I would enter her. God, that sounds sexual. Yeah, you have to pull out after a while, though. <laughs> Sometime. You, Sometime. Can't, you can't just remain in her. Therefore, Chuck Rosica wrote, it is not impossible, however, for an atheist to eventually be saved by Christ. Oh. Because rejection of Christianity does not mean rejection of Christ. What? Yeah. <laughs> now, so much he, for logic. Exactly. He comes out strong, and then he starts vacillating later on. <laughs> well, so I can't get into their imaginary kingdom. Damn it. Nay. But maybe you can. But maybe I can. Eventually. 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 Um, this happened earlier, but it happened since we sporadically record. It happened after the last podcast. But uh, our second skunk dick, and this isn't religion related, but it's yes, just it funny. Is. Yes, is it, it is. <laughs> I guess it could be rooted. Armed Force Officer in Charge of Sexual Abuse Prevention, Lieutenant Colonel Jeffrey Krasinski. Did you hear what he's in charge of? Uh, sexual Assault Prevention. Yeah, sexual assault, sexual abuse prevention. He yeah, was so arrested. This guy is um, in charge of teaching people in the armed forces how to not sexually assault people. Okay, now I get it then, because he was accused of drunkenly groping a woman. <laughs> so he was just showing people what not to do. <laughs> this is how you sexually assault a woman. Don't do this. You didn't say it in a drunk voice. It's oh. not supposed to grab their boobies. They can't find anyone. It's like the fucking Catholic Church. You can't find a priest who hasn't molested a child. You cannot find a single man in the armed forces who hasn't fucking sexually assaulted a woman. That That is fantastic. So how about you just give up and allow women to give the sexual assault prevention courses? How about that? Yeah. It's apparently rampant in the armed forces. I mean, it's epidemic. Yeah. It's pretty bad. So, uh... I'm going with the sexual assault guy. Fuck the Pope. That's my skunk dick candidate. You're going to, that's I'm, a good choice. Yeah, I'm naming him skunk dick of the week. What, but what today's about you? What skunk vote? dick. Oh, damn it. Yes. <laughs> Overruled. All right, who's the actual skunk dick of the week? The actual skunk dick is Michelle Bachman. Damn her. Simply for the fact that she's retiring from Congress and we won't be able to make fun of her anymore. She's retiring from Congress because she, there's no way in fucking hell, even with a gerrymandered district, would she get elected again. <laughs> That's why she's retiring. Are you sure? A hundred percent. Because I love her. Yeah, it doesn't matter if she retires or not. She's not going back in. She's just a fucking lunatic. Yeah. Even the people in Minnesota are slowly coming to that realization. Well, I guess I can go now. I've done my bit. Yeah, you've. Um, that, that was your preparation for the podcast? <laughs> that was it. Well, let's talk about the Gospel of Mark, the actual, the meat. Let's get to the meat of the podcast. Sure, let's do your thing now. The Gospel of Mark. 
this is the first gospel written. The actual title is not the gospel according to St. Mark, uh, but it's probably found in uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Although, Matt, some early manuscripts do not include the Son of God part. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> beginning Did they the add that in Christ. later? Yeah. So, um, background information. So, church tradition from Papias, essentially, as recorded by Irenaeus and Eusebius. Church tradition has it that the gospel is written by John Mark, who's a secretary of Peter. So, uh, Mark was supposed to have followed Peter around, recording his sermons as he preached, until he eventually compiled enough material to just string it together as a book. Church tradition also has it that Mark was an abridgment of Matthew. They, they thought that it was a summary, kind of a Reader's Digest version, because it was shorter than Matthew. <laughs> Uh, and they thought Matthew was first because it was the most Jewish of the Gospels. So, you know, the first Gospel had to be the most Jewish because Jesus was a Jew. Matthew's first because Matthew is awesome. Cause <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, because Matthew was so fucking cool. He was. Had he be, still is. Had to be first. Um, so, yeah, they thought it was, Mark was just kind of a stripped-down version to make it easier to read and follow when it was read out loud. Uh, it's obviously not the case because Matthew used Mark as one of uh, his sources. So, fuck you, early church. <laughs> Did your goddamn research. Um, yeah, earliest of the Gospels, probably written down uh, between 70 and 75 of the Common Era, shortly after the end of the Jewish revolt and the destruction of the Temple. The date's not hard and fast, but it's the best guess of the majority of New Testament scholars. I can't believe that it's any earlier than 70, since it references the destruction of the Jewish temple a couple times, and alludes to the occupation by the Romans later. Much later than 75, and the manuscript copies don't have a lot of time to circulate before they're used by the authors of Matthew and Luke. Oh, they so they date it. They're dating these Gospels by their historical content? Yeah, the historical content and... Also, it was the time that, that people would start writing Gospels, they think, because the temple was destroyed. If, you're, if Jesus was a historical figure, it's a full generation after, and so you're talking about now the death of anyone who may have uh, witnessed any of these events. And so now it becomes urgent kind of to write it down. So this might be a stupid question, but that's my thing. They're, um. all, they're all stupid questions, man. <laughs> Do any, uh, what would you call it, an original copy exist? No. Is that what's in the Vatican secret vault? We have no original nothing, copies. We have nothing from the first century. Nothing uh, the carbonate or... We have fragments of these manuscripts from the second century, but we don't have a complete manuscript until the third century. Because we have some like Dead Sea Scrolls, but no, no gospel. Right, those are about 150 years before Christ. Right. Um, and those were... Uh, probably stored up in those caves and left as the um, Essenes moved to fight the Romans, right, as they thought it was the end times in 70. So those those have been sitting around for a while, and um, in the dry desert, the stuff is preserved. But um, not so for Mark. We have no original copies of Mark. Uh, So, yeah, the the Matthew and Luke are are traditionally placed around 85. Um, But again, this is a best guess. Some of the authors that I've read place Luke in the early 2nd century, uh, probably the one teens. Uh, Anyway, it was written by a person who was literate in Greek, but kind of barely literate. (laughs) He wasn't (laughs) well-trained. He uses kind of this rough uh, street Greek. Um, he uses a lot of, and then immediately this happened, and then immediately that happened. <laughs> and he, he changes tenses a lot uh, mid-sentence, like, uh, and then they went out into the boat, and then here's a storm, and it's uh, raining a lot, and Jesus comes out of the boat. So It's like saying like all the time. <laughs> right? He's, he's a kind of a, a lower Greek, not as well-trained as, as Matthew and Luke, who spend a lot of time, by the way, like editing him and correcting his grammar. <laughs> the author's probably not Jewish, um, probably a Gentile. He's certainly not intimately familiar with the geography of first century Palestine. Whenever he goes into specifics, he tends to make mistakes. Uh, in Mark 11.1, 1, he writes, And when they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he's, he got the order of the two villages wrong, and they're departing from Jericho in Mark 10, and so you'd come uh, up on Bethany first, and then Bethphage. So either in the Bible... <laughs> Either he's got a bad map or he's just not familiar with the area. Worse, uh, in Mark 7.31, he writes, And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. 
Now, if you get a map in front of you and you depart from Tyre or Sidon, you hit the Sea of Galilee before you get to the Capolis, not the other way around. It's kind of like saying, and lo, he departed from Idaho and came upon the Great Salt Lake by way of Texas. <laughs> right? I mean, Hold on. I'm going to Google map that out. <laughs> It's uh, it's not not accurate. Anyway, so Mark was likely written in the early 70s to a Gentile audience by someone who lived in a Gentile city. Um, it's been placed anywhere from Antioch to Rome, uh, who was mildly literate in a street Greek. So uh, the gospel itself, one of the most striking things about Mark is is what it doesn't say. It begins with an adult Jesus. There's no account of a virgin birth. There's no mention of Bethlehem. It's always Jesus of Nazareth. Um, Here's how Mark begins, right? The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and so he makes a mistake right away. (laughs) Fucking verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. That's actually a quote from Malachi (laughs) 3.1. Not Isaiah. Malachi. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make path, straight paths for him. That's actually from Isaiah, Isaiah 43. So um, the King James Version smooths over this by translating the text as it is written in the prophets, but the original manuscripts have as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I don't like the King James Version um, itself. It's not a very good translation because it seems more concerned with harmonizing over these difficulties and correcting mistakes than it is in accurately translating the text. So well, and the wording is just ridiculous. So for, for this, uh, I've, thou I've gone with thou. the new international version. Uh, so any quotes I make are from the new international version. I think it's a better translation. That's a good choice. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Mm. Locust and wild honey, that is a delicacy. Wild honey, I think, is honey that drinks too much and sluts it up at parties. Oh, yeah. You probably want to avoid that, wild honey. Right, especially if you're a, uh, around any Air Force sexual abuse prevention officers. Steer <laughs> <laughs> clear. Uh, and this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. So that's... Um, that he's is, talking about uh, Jesus. Yeah, he's talking about Jesus. So that you can see that Christians are uncomfortable with John baptizing Jesus because they insert this shit in here about him saying that, oh, I'm not, I'm not worthy to tie his sandals. I can't even, I shouldn't even stoop down and untie his sandals. <clears throat> so they put that in there to make sure that you know that John's secondary to Jesus, right? This gets into the whole criterion of embarrassment. They talk about one of the criterion to include stuff. But what You can be more confident that it's true if it embarrasses Christians or if it's something that, that you wouldn't expect that they would put in there. Because the only reason they'd put in there, of course, Matt, is if it's true. Ah. But uh, that tradition that, that Jesus was baptized by John initially may have uh, occurred, A, because he did it, or B, just to associate Jesus with someone who was at that time more famous than Jesus. You don't know Jesus, but John, you remember John, right? Yeah, yeah, John baptized. So initially, it might not have been embarrassing to them. So I reject the inclusion of that as a true thing because of uh, some imaginary embarrassment. We don't know what would embarrass early Christians and what wouldn't. Well, when Jesus showed up to get baptized by John, what what did he say to him? Didn't he uh, pull out some justification or John said, I can't baptize you? And he said, sure you can. I'm Jesus. That was... uh... (laughs) It's something... (laughs) I'm so prepared. Yeah, I don't think that's in Mark, but uh, I think uh, in the other Gospels, he says, suffer it be so, you know, so all things will be fulfilled, blah, blah, blah. It goes on to say, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Until I kill you. <laughs> That'll be later. Notice in in Mark, he comes up out, and this is a private vision to Jesus. Right? It does only it doesn't happen to the crowds as later, but in Mark, it's just Jesus having this vision. He saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven: "You are my Son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased." So here in Mark, no virgin birth, no manger, no wise men, no star, no Bethlehem, no nothing. Our earliest gospel, Mark, portrays Jesus simply as from Nazareth in Galilee. Are you saying, Chuck, that his legend grows 
in chronological order. Not at all. I'm sure it happened exactly as uh, each of the four evangelists wrote down. From eyewitness testimony. Ah, yes. Always, always good. Also, Matt, Paul doesn't mention anything of the virgin birth or Jesus being from Bethlehem. Uh, so our two earliest sources are unanimous in no virgin birth. So in Mark 2, it says, At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. That's it. He just, kind of the temptation in the wilderness is barely mentioned. Both Luke and Matthew expand on this, probably using Q as a source, because it's uh, like word for word the same in Luke and Matthew. I, I missed something. What's Q? Um, we'll get into Q a little bit later. Um, we did a whole episode on Q. Didn't you fucking listen to our Q episode? I didn't, I didn't do that episode. <laughs> we did that episode? Uh, oh, that was previously previously on Irreligiosity. Yes. That was, I only know Q from Star Trek The Next Generation. That was version one. There's a lot of stuff in Luke and Matthew verbatim that is not present in Mark. Now, we know that Luke and Matthew use Mark as a source, uh, so the hypothesis is that they also use a second source called Q. So where they agree in stuff that's not found in Mark, that was probably a document called Q. Now, there's arguments about this. Mark Goodacre is one of them. I think he puts Luke in the second century, so he would have access to Matthew and Mark. Uh, and so he would say that he just abridged Matthew or he edited Matthew. Um, but we'll get into that a little later. So after his temptation in the wilderness, Jesus starts cruising uh, around the Galilee for men. Oh, nice. From Mark, from Mark 1.16, he saw Simon and his brother casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, they're fishermen. Okay, that's why they're casting the net in the lake. Thanks, Mark. Hey, what are you doing over there? We're fishermen. <laughs> it could, that could be uh, some old New Testament. Wait, which testament is this? <laughs> that could be some could be New some Testament. Strange Jewish ritual. <laughs> right. It's like masturbating. Yeah, yeah. Casting a net into the lake. Repeatedly. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or as it's more commonly translated, I will make you fishers of men. Ah, and he first said, come. At once, they <laughs> left their nets and followed him. So, Matt, someone comes up to you as a pilot. They're, Look, I will make you pilot of men. I would walk away immediately. <laughs> I'd say, sure. I guess you're already a pilot of men. I am a pilot of men and women, children, animals, <laughs> various... Cargo. Cargoes, small pebbles, sometimes. Duck. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Oh, Jesus, you dick. What? <laughs> now he's going to hire two more people. It's probably going to destroy his fishing business, but that's cool, Jesus. Fucker. His father was infirm. He, they left him in the boat. <laughs> With his hired prostitutes. And followed oh, after well, Jesus. Okay, then. Jesus goes around preaching in Capernaum. He passes by a guy uh, possessed with a demon. You know, as often happens. Ah, yeah. And of course, the demon immediately recognizes Jesus. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. <laughs> Come out of him. Jesus is always telling people to come. It's yes, kind of, come. It's kind of disturbing. <laughs> so he pulls that demon right out of that guy. He starts healing people of various uh, diseases. We get to this curious passage in verse 34. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So demon, shut the fuck up. Stop telling people who I am. <laughs> right. Why? Why does he not want that spread around? Why? This is a recurring theme in Mark. Happens again in the next few verses. Jesus heals a man from leprosy. Uh, verse 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. So you compare this. We'll later get to John. But compare that to John where Jesus tells everyone who he is. And he performs miracles to prove it. In Mark, for some reason, Jesus wants to keep his messiahship a secret. And, you know, it, it turns out he doesn't need to. Because the only people who know who he is are the demons. Even his fucking disciples don't have a clue. <laughs> well, that was back. That was the earlier gospel. He wanted to. Uh, you you don't let it count out of the bag. It's much like Star Trek. You don't find out 
Benedict Cumberbatch is right away. <laughs> it's a secret. It's a secret. For some reason. Um, you know, Jesus has a couple of controversies with the Pharisees in chapter 2 about forgiving sins, eating with sinners, fasting, blah, blah, blah. In verse 23, he's questioned about picking grain on the Sabbath, right? So one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, because the Pharisees are just fucking hanging out in grain fields. (laughs) That's what you do back then. They just pop up. Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Right? And then he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So uh, Jesus actually gets a detail wrong here. The story's originally in 1 Samuel 21. David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met him and asked, Why are you alone? Why is no one with you? David answered, Ahimelech the priest, The king sent me on a mission and said to me, No one is to know anything about the mission I am sending you on. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there's some consecrated bread here, provided the men have kept themselves from women. The fuck? (laughs) Well, I... That ruins bread, apparently. I (laughs) hope your men haven't been hanging around with women, or you can't have my bread. So, besides the misogyny, um, Jesus had no idea who the high priest was at the time of the incident with David, right? When he says Abiathar, well, Abiathar is Abimelech's son and successor. He's not mentioned until the next chapter. So Wait, you're, are you saying Jesus, or do you mean Mark? Jesus himself, because, Matt, this is eyewitness testimony. Oh, that's right. Jesus himself got this shit wrong. Well, what I want to know is, when Jesus was going through the grain fields, and they were picking heads of grain, why did the Pharisees, why didn't they say, hey, what are you doing stealing grain? <laughs> I think the... um the Torah provides for certain grain fields to um, to be there for poor people who can't eat. You have oh, to really? devote a certain amount of your grain field for the poor. So it, it, it was lawful for them, because they're wandering poor people, to take some grain. Uh, it was just not lawful for them to do it on the Sabbath. So poor people can starve on the Sabbath, fuckers. Yes, <laughs> But at least they it's the thought that counts. <laughs> in chapter 3, verse 21, we got a nice little detail in Mark about Jesus' family thinking he was crazy. <laughs> verse 21, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. <laughs> yo, Again, he crazy, yo. So not only, you know, the uh, people often say, well, that's an argument from silence, that Mark doesn't have a virgin birth. He just probably didn't mention it. That's all. Um, but this verse makes it impossible for Mark to have a concept of the virgin birth because Mark's family or Jesus's family would not have forgotten about the virgin birth. Let's see. We had a virgin birth. God impregnated me. He told me he'd be the savior of the world. But shit, he's walking around preaching. He's fucking crazy. We gotta take him out. He's out of his mind. That is hilarious. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he's out of his mind. You're making us look bad. (laughs) So the King James Version translates the Greek word uh, into friends, right? When his friends heard about this, they went to take charge of him. But the word literally means they that were of him. So it's his family. So the New International Version uh, correctly translates that as family. And also his family arrives a few verses later in 31. Right, you know, like his mother and brothers, but Jesus rejects them, saying, "Who are my mother and brothers?" Like they said, "Your your your family's here. Your mother and brothers are here to see you." And uh, he says, "Who are my mother and brothers?" He asked. Then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, "Here are my brother and my mother. Uh, whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother." So fuck my family. So much <laughs> for family values. Fuck you, assholes. You know, it's hilarious to see all the different translations of different uh, uh, verses of Bibles how they. How they say that line, he's out of his mind, he's lost his senses. Yeah. He has gone out of his mind, he is beside himself, he's become <laughs> mad. 
He is insane. That's <laughs> an awesome. That's a good one. <laughs> His family thinks he's crazy. I love it. But again, you don't get that out of the King James version. And again, that's why it's why it's it's probably one of the worst translations. All right, so Jesus goes on, tells a bunch of parables, including the parable of the sower, you know, and of course the stupid fucking apostles don't know what the parable of the sower is, where the guy puts a bunch of seed on the side of the road and some of it doesn't take root, some of it is in, you know, thin soil and, and initially grows and then dies, and some of it actually takes root and, and, and bears fruit. They have no fucking idea what that means, right? It's such a mysterious it- parable. Didn't they grow up with Aesop's fables? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why would Jesus teach in riddles in the first place, right? He's coming. It's his only time where God's going to take human form, the omnipotent ruler of the world. Why does he teach in riddles? Do you remember, Chuck, C.S. Lewis taught us that Christianity is something you would not expect. <laughs> you certainly wouldn't expect God to be an asshole and teach in riddles. <laughs> right. Um, But Jesus himself answers this in uh, chapter 4, verse 11, when his apostles, the dumb shits that they are, ask what the parable of the sower means. So he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Well, you don't want that to happen. So that's why he teaches in parables. Because if he spoke plainly, everybody would turn and repent and go to heaven. But, you know, he's prepared this hell, so he doesn't want to be empty, so he fucking teaches in parables. Holy shit, that's in the Bible. Yes. <laughs> and that's why Jesus said that he, problem with he that. teaches in riddles. Because otherwise people would repent. We Jesus. can't have everybody coming up here. Jesus. There's not room for everybody in heaven. That, by the way, oh, references uh, um, Isaiah's chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where Isaiah has a vision of God sending out a prophet, right? So he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. That's what Jesus chooses to (laughs) quote when asked why he teaches in parables. Nice. It's so... Fucking insular and tribal and in-group. But no, oh, Matt, this yeah. is the omnipotent ruler of the entire universe. He's God of all the tribes. Oh, boy. So, in chapter 5, Jesus meets a demon-possessed man. Uh, like you do. The, <laughs> they're all over the place. <laughs> they were everywhere in those days. Who lived in the tombs because no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. <laughs> <laughs> He's freakishly strong. Oh, did you bind him? I put a chain on him. He broke it. (laughs) Jesus asked the demon what his name is, and he says, My name is Legion, for we are many. The demons then ask Jesus to send him in the pigs, right? And he obliges, of course. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. So so this story has always bothered me when I was reading. I'm like, why would Jesus listen to demons, number one? Why would he say, okay, here, here, go ahead and hop into these pigs? When he knew they're just going to run into the lake and kill themselves, all the bunch of pigs. Why didn't he just cast them out like he's done before? Yeah, then tell them to shut up. I, I happened upon an article that explained this for him. This has got to be what Mark is talking about here. All right. After Jerusalem was destroyed, it was occupied by the 10th Legion called Fratensis, right? The Roman 10th Legion Fratensis, which happened to consist of about 2,000 troops and whose symbol was a boar, right? So all their banners have this picture of a boar. It looks like a pig. So here Mark is telling them that the uh, his audience, the arrival of Jesus signifies something that's going to happen shortly. The Roman legion is going to be driven out of Judea for good. Uh, ha, ha, I think I see what's going on here. So he's telling his audience in code that the occupation of Judea is going to end shortly after the coming of Jesus. Yeah. That makes sense of it. Uh, nothing else makes sense of that. Why Jesus would say, oh yeah, here, go ahead, demons, into these pigs. Don't worry about these pig herders over here. Pig herders? Uh, well, just, yeah, like in the next verse, the pig herders went out and told everybody what happened. Of course, they're now completely bereft of a job. It's pig keeper, Chuck. <laughs> Have you not read the Pridane Chronicles, or Peridian, however you pronounce that? Look, the important thing to take away from this, Chuck, is this marked my first collaboration on irreligiosity. This is absolutely true. Matt, um, we have a little YouTube video. It's probably still out there. 
it's still there. That you can see, which which actually animates this, what what actually happened, and Matt did the artwork for it. I did, and Leighton did the um, animation. The animation. Yeah, I think he did the original uh, narration where he read the stuff, he animated it, and then uh, Matt drew it, and I played the part of the pig herder. <laughs> I would like to read you a comment from Jesus casting demons into pigs from YouTube. <laughs> Devil Butt Kicker says, you know the part where he says, quote, all I can do is take care of fucking pigs. Sounds really bad. I mean, implying <laughs> that all he does is go around having sex with his hogs. <laughs> That's what pig herders did back then. Don't hey, keepers. Don't okay. judge me. He also said the demons look like fish. Well, f- fuck you, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's what demons look. Has this person ever seen a demon before? Exactly. Jesus Christ. They were they were kind of fishy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Matt, Jesus goes around, performs some more miracles, resurrects a 12-year-old girl from the dead, and again, in verse 43, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this, because for God's sakes, no one should know that he's the Messiah. What are people going to say when they see the girl? (laughs) What, no one asks questions? She just woke up, I guess. Okay, Jesus. In chapter 6, Jesus goes back home, but the people aren't impressed with Jesus because, you know, they grew up with him. Jesus is a little angry. He says in verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town, among his relatives, in his own home. Again, fuck my relatives. <laughs> fuck those assholes. They don't appreciate me. out of his mind. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder they wanted to seize him. He's going around casting aspersions on his family. Uh, verse 5 very interestingly says, He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So here, Jesus is not like he chooses not to. He is unable to perform miracles because of their lack of faith. Apparently, Jesus is powered by uh, people's faith. He's like a battery. Ah. If if you go to uh, Matthew and Luke, I believe they both change that uh, to, like, he would not do miracles there because he's pissed off, right? Not wow. could not. Because that implies that he's not all-powerful. Yeah, that's like uh, if you've ever read the book Jitterbug Perfume, which you probably haven't, but you should. What the, the fuck the, are you talking about? The Jitterbug Perfume. Of course. It shows the power of the Greek gods wane because we stopped believing in them. <laughs> yeah. True. The only one who's left is Pan, and he's barely a, he's barely a ghost. <laughs> it's a great book. It's all about sex and drinking. It's on my list. So Jesus goes out in the countryside, and he does his first uh, multiplying loaves miracle, right? So he uh, multiplies the loaves and the fish to feed 5,000 people. He starts with five loaves of bread and and two fish and ends up with 12 basketfuls of food left over. Unbelievable. Leftovers? (laughs) Quite a miracle. Why did he keep going? Yeah. Yeah, what the hell? Why didn't he just stop and perfectly feed everyone and no leftovers? In chapter 7... We got the Pharisees complaining that Jesus' disciples don't wash their hands before they eat, because the Pharisees are fucking everywhere. <laughs> they're right? they're popping up. Eating with dirty hands. Whoa, oh, oh! So wash your hands. Now listen to the omnipotent ruler of the universe here, who, uh, you know, is perfectly aware of the germ theory of disease. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? He replied... Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding to human traditions. So that's real nice. It would have been nicer, though, Jesus, had you mentioned that, you know, even though it's a human tradition or a ceremonial, you know, ritual, uh, washing hands is a good idea because it cleanses germs from our hands before we touch our food and eat it. That would have been nice. That would have been nice. So, here again... Don't shit near your water supply, too. <laughs> here again, we have, you know, proof, really, that Jesus isn't divine. He doesn't know anything more than the uh, people who are writing about him did in the day. Because isn't that a perfect opportunity to say, hey, people, wash your hands. But no. That was. Doesn't. That was the... That was... But no. But no. It's just a human... Tra- it's a foolish human tradition. You should follow the commands of God instead, you assholes. And don't wash your hands. <laughs> you and your human traditions. Oh, God. So he says um, to the crowd outside, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. 
Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And his disciples ask him to explain the parable. You fucking idiots! <laughs> not a parable. I would, I would ask him to explain that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a parable, you asshole! He just repeats it. He just explains it by repeating it. Oh my god! What does this mean? <laughs> what metaphor? Not a metaphor. What part of what I just said? Don't you understand? <laughs> Jesus repeated to them. And in verse 33, Jesus does this weird thing where he, he heals a deaf man uh, just like all the other magicians do in the first century. right? So he goes, he goes, after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Apparently, he's deaf and mute. And again, of course, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. He spit and touched his tongue. Yes. But weren't his fingers already in the man's ears? He pretty much gave the guy a wet willy and touched his tongue, and then, you know, opened his fingers. And, you know, it's just like sympathetic magic, right? I'm closing your ears, and I'm opening it, and you'll hear. Just like a magician. Why would the omnipotent ruler of the universe copy the actions of a common magician? You remember when Jesus did psychic surgery? <laughs> he was palming the chicken livers. He just pulls out a little chicken liver. <laughs> Be healed. Be healed. God, in chapter 8, he multiplies the loaves again, uh, this time for 4,000. So there are probably two traditions going around, right? Jesus multiplying loaves for 5,000 and then multiplying loaves for 4,000. Then he hops on a boat and uh, this... This nice event happens in verse 14. The disciples have forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, Is it because we have no bread? (laughs) Hey, when you got Jesus around, all you need is one loaf. And Jesus responded, I have chosen the 12 biggest clods in all of Judea. What fucking idiots! He told them to be careful of the Pharisees' yeast? Yeah, in the King James Version, it's the leaven. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod. So, I don't know. I don't know what the fuck that means. It's obviously a metaphor, because he just fucking multiplied loaves for 4,000 people, and they're like, oh shit, we, don't even, we only have one loaf of bread. Well, what the fuck are we going to do? He got Jesus! <laughs> He's right there! <laughs> Is it possible? Now, you know, when he speaks metaphorically, they take him literally. When he speaks literally, they take him metaphorically. It's just, they are seriously the stupidest people in all of Judea. And Jesus chose them as uh, disciples. Nice. Well, who, who do you expect would just walk away from work when some guy comes by? <laughs> hey, follow me. Okay. <laughs> Where are you going? Oh, this guy told me to follow him. So. <laughs> Let's follow this gay dude around. <laughs> He said, come, and I came. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. So, uh, again, Jesus does this little magician act. Uh, he heals a blind man in Bethsaida by spitting on the man's eyes and touching him. Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. What the fuck? Trees don't walk, you fucking idiot. <laughs> he said, did you just come on my face? What? <laughs> That's a money shot. What the hell? He saw trees walking around? They, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So again, it looks like Jesus isn't quite all-powerful. He, he has to take right. twice to heal the guy. He screwed it up the first time. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I gave you ant vision. <laughs> God. <laughs> it's pretty fucking blurry, Jesus. Can you do that again? Yeah. Let, me, let me give it a second chance. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> Stop spitting on me! God damn it! <laughs> well, the spit didn't work. Hang on a second. <laughs> Hold on, quick sound effect. <laughs> All right, in verse 27, we come to the turning point in Mark's gospel. So Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. What do you think Jesus says? Jesus says, correct. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. (laughs) Don't say a fucking thing. (laughs) Don't you fucking tell anybody. (laughs) 
fucking cut you. <laughs> so, sort of we have Peter understanding, but then, like in the next verse, Jesus tells his disciples that he has to be rejected and killed, right? And Peter says, uh, he began to rebuke him. Peter began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. So he understands that he's the Messiah, but he doesn't understand that he needs to suffer and die, basically. So he's he's kind of like that guy who sees people, but they kind of look blurry like trees. So Jesus has got to, I guess, smack him in the head again in order for him to understand, truly. So did he think, was it Peter was speaking with the voice of Satan? Yes. Get thee behind me, Satan. Yeah, that's not gay at all. That's quick. <laughs> Get thee behind me, right there. Hips. Yes, and perfect. I want to point out there's nothing wrong with that, though. If Jesus wants to have gay sex with Satan, it's okay. It's fine. He chose, get married? he chose 12 male apostles. That's what right. What do with them? In Mark 9.1, we get Jesus' failed prediction. And he said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Hey, Jesus, we're still waiting. Still waiting. Tick. Tock. And Matt, we get the transfiguration in verse 2. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. What? the fuck? They didn't say bleach, did they? And that's what the translation says, yeah. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. <laughs> That's what Wait, you say. it was Elijah, Moses, and, and Jesus? Jesus? Yep. So it's like the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. Yes, exactly. Oh. Elijah, Jesus, Moses, and Yoda. So there are no new ideas in Hollywood. <laughs> Um, this appearance of Elijah happens because there's a prophecy in, in Malachi, Malachi 4, verse 5. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So that's actually where the Christian Old Testament ends. So that Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. So it's like looking forward to Jesus, right? But in the time, they expected, right, that Elijah would come and announce the Messiah. And so obviously it didn't happen. So Mark has to put in this thing where it's all in private. (laughs) Not even all of his disciples are there, just three of them (laughs) up on a mountaintop. Oh, that's when Elijah came, see? Just secretly. That's probably also why the Messiahship is kept a secret, because no one fucking knows who Jesus is, right? It was kept a secret. Until he becomes famous. Through association. Right. In uh, chapter 10, Jesus teaches against divorce. He doesn't allow a divorce under any circumstances. If uh, a man divorces a woman, marries another, he commits adultery and vice versa. He performs some more miracles, predicts his death and resurrection again, and heals a blind guy. Chapter 11 has Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem for Passover. Jesus tells his disciples to go steal a colt for him to ride on. <laughs> Uh, and they do. Uh, he enters Jerusalem to the claim of the crowds, uh, went to the temple, and uh, it was getting late, so he went back out. And this is where the uh, fig story happens in verse 12. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. So of course it doesn't have any figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again, you fucking asshole. <laughs> And his That's, disciples heard him say it. He he stopped the tree from fruiting because it didn't have any fruit? Out of season. Out of season? It's awesome. Just because he's hungry. He's like a fucking spoiled brat. Oh, my God. Fuck you, fig tree. Oh, it's like when you go to a restaurant and they're out of like your food. And you're like, may you never serve another again. It's like a <laughs> restaurant that says, no hamburgers until September. And you come in in July and you're like, fuck you. No food ever from this restaurant. And you destroy it. Right. 
Oh, so I don't. I still don't get that story. You know, I've I've read that it may be a metaphor for the temple because in the next verse, Jesus gets angry at the money changers, right? Overturns the tables, whips them. Then they go out of the city and they see the fig tree all withered up, and so maybe it's just like metaphor for the destruction of the temple. But what does that say about the temple then? That the the temple was bad because it didn't bear fruit out of season? I, what the fuck does that mean? I'm like Jesus' disciple. Jesus, explain this parable to me of the fig tree. <laughs> and Jesus said, Doesn't mean You don't anything. know what I'm talking about? Doesn't mean anything. Fuck you. I was just, May you never understand. I was just hungry, Simon. Doesn't mean shit. Uh, we know that's a literal story, Chuck. <laughs> um, it's there's not a no, metaphor. There's no, meta, there's no allegory. None of that stuff exists in the Bible. So in chapter 12, Jesus argues uh, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and gets the best of them. That's where the render unto Caesar bit and the part about marrying in the resurrection. Because the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection, right? So they're like, I'm going to stump you, Jesus. There's a man who married a woman and he's got seven brothers. And he dies, and she marries the other brother, and he dies, marries all the way along, all seven of them. So in the resurrection, who's he married to? <clears throat> who's the woman married to? See, that's why the resurrection can't happen. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is like, well, they are not. They don't marry nor are given in marriage in the resurrection, so eat that. Eat that. Eat shit, Sadducees. Matt, Jesus really shouldn't have pissed off the Sadducees, because you can uh, you can pick on the Pharisees and the scribes, all day long, all they can do is complain about you. The Sadducees are the temple cult, so they interact regularly with Pilate. They have the backing of all the richest and most wealthy people in Jerusalem, so you probably shouldn't fuck with the Sadducees. No. What's a Sadducee? That's, <laughs> that, was, that was his big mistake, I think. If he actually existed, fucking with the Sadducees was a big mistake. The Sadducees are the um, temple cult. They They run the temple, so they get all the money from the temple, uh, that goes into the fast offerings and all that shit. They, um, they're patronized by all the richest and wealthiest people in Jerusalem. They're the power brokers, basically, of Jerusalem. So, oh, bad idea. Fair. Bad idea, Jesus. Pharisees are just a sect of Judaism. They become more important when the temple's destroyed, and that, that ends the Sadducees. <laughs> they don't have a temple anymore. The Pharisees then become kind of Orthodox Judaism. They, they pick up from the destruction of the temple. Uh, but right now, they're just kind of like a, a little cult. They're a sect of Judaism. Did you know that I was once Christian? Uh, yes, I did. I'm still asking these questions. <laughs> you, don't li- you don't learn any of this shit in uh, church. None. None of this shit you learn in church. <clears throat> you just learn how to worship Jesus. So in verse 35, we get a little apologetic from Jesus about why he doesn't descend from David, right? So it says, while Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? So Jesus is saying that if David calls him Lord, then he couldn't have descended from him. Uh, so the, the, apparently the Bible's wrong. <laughs> that's probably, Price, Robert Price thinks that's a, an apologetic probably that Mark took from the Herodians. The uh, Herod uh, didn't really have a whole lot of legitimacy to uh, being king. And uh, so he said he wasn't from, since he's not from the line of David, uh, Herod probably used this apologetic saying, look, I'm king, but <clears throat> even the Messiah can't be the son of David because of this. So if the Messiah can be the Messiah, then I can be king. Anyway, that apologetic didn't really sit well with either Matthew or Luke because both of them replace it with their own little different genealogies, right? Showing that Jesus did indeed descend from David, except not really because it it goes through Joseph on both of them and not Mary. Beautiful. Uh, Mark 13 is called the Little Apocalypse. It has details about the destruction of the temple and gives signs of the end times. This is one of the reasons why we know Mark is placed after the year 70, the destruction of the temple. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones! What magnificent buildings! Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. So there Jesus predicts the destruction of the temple. 
Jesus goes on to say, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Now that stuff all took place in the years before 70, right? All the war against uh, the uprising of the Jews, the revolt. There were a lot of false prophets inside of Jerusalem who said, you know, I'm a prophet, I'm the Messiah, follow me. Um, And they led a lot of people to their deaths. Um, That's all recorded in Josephus. So this is clearly after the year 70, but not too far after, because this is still recent memory for this guy. Verse 14, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, I like how that let the reader understand is in there, right? So it's not Jesus talking, (laughs) right? Jesus is not saying abomination, desolation, blah, 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 let the reader understand as he's talking to the people. So again, Price, I think, uh, thinks that this probably was a circulating pamphlet about like the apocalypse or the end times. And Mark just kind of swiped it and put it in here, word for word, basically, uh, in the mouth of Jesus. Yeah. He says, let no one on housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Uh, Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, right? (laughs) And Christians, I think, actually did leave Jerusalem before the Romans came in and destroyed it. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be the days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never be equaled again. So that's obviously referencing the, the recent war in Jerusalem. Even so, when you see these things happen, happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. But about that day or hour, no one knows. So this is in Mark, right? All these um, people who predict the date of the apocalypse. Uh, About that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, if the Trinity is really true, if Jesus really is God, and um, he's just like an aspect of God, let me read that for you with the Trinity in mind. Read it. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor me, but only me. Does that make any fucking sense at all? Not one phase of me, but the other phase of me. Be on guard! Be alert! You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. (laughs) He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Watch. So keep that in mind, by the way. He's telling, he's telling everyone he's preaching, be alert, don't sleep, stay awake, be on guard, watch. <clears throat> All right, they have the Last Supper, the Passover meal, uh, in verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup when he had given thanks, and he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Transubstantiation. <laughs> yeah, right. This is, this is my body, this is my blood. Jesus predicts his disciples will abandon him, and Peter will deny him three times, right? Um, Peter says, no, never, I'll even die before that. And then Jesus goes off into Gethsemane. They went into the place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. So he's telling them, I am agonizing. I am in agony. I I am distressed almost unto death. And his apostles fall asleep. (laughs) (laughs) Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible to you. Uh, Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so you'll not fall into temptation. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Sorry, man, I don't know what to say. I was sleeping. <laughs> Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping, you fuckers? 
Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I love how Jesus knows he's getting betrayed this whole time. So Jesus is betrayed by Jesus. He's arrested. Uh, His disciples all scatter and flee. We get this really interesting detail in verses 51 and 52. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. And then it just goes did, on. Did it get torn off, or did he pull it off? <laughs> I guess they seized him, grabbed his garment, and he ran off totally buck naked. I like to think he pulled it off and threw it at him and ran. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, you know, Peter denies Jesus three times before the cock crowed twice, just as, as Jesus had predicted. Chapter 15 brings Jesus before Pilate, right? And he's interviewed by the Sanhedrin, and they find him guilty of blasphemy. Then they bring him before Pilate. Pilate interviews Jesus, but Jesus essentially remains silent, except he's, you know, he says, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you say it so, or you have said so, or thou sayest. Uh, now, it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked him. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they all shouted louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd... Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now, we know a lot about Pilate from Josephus. Josephus spends something like fucking four chapters delineating the atrocities that Pilate had committed. So, does it make any sense at all to have Pilate give two shits about Jesus, about some Jew who's causing trouble? It makes Pilate look, uh, makes him look good. Does it make any sense for a Roman governor to release a fucking insurrectionist? Here, go out. Cause more revolutions. Cause more revolts. It makes it seem like deep inside he knows the truth. (laughs) Right. There's an obvious effort here to distance the Romans who had just crushed fucking Jerusalem and Judea and subjugated the Jews from the death of Jesus uh, so that um, the Gentile Mark won't himself be, you know attacked as an insurrectionist. So yeah, this begins the kind of distancing of of Rome and, and Pilate from the death of uh, Jesus. Uh, so Jesus, Jesus is crucified at 9 in the morning, complete with details that are stolen from Psalm 22. Um, here's Mark 15, 24. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. Psalm 22:18. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Mark 15:29 Those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads. Psalm 22:7 All who see me mock me they hurl insults shaking their heads. <laughs> Always with the head shaking and the tisking. <laughs> That's the worst about it. And they're fucking Jesus is on the cross. Hey, stop shaking your head at me. Yeah, oh, fuck like, you. Tis tis tis. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Mark 15:34 and at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama samachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the first verse of Psalm 22. Psalm 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Aha! So, um... What does that mean? <laughs> it means no one was there at the crucifixion. No one knows, even if, if Jesus was. Uh, so what does Mark do? Mark goes back to the Old Testament, finds a, you know, a, a psalm of sorrow, a lamentation psalm, and just makes up details, just steals it straight from there. Uh, Let's see here. Jesus dies in verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. (laughs) So none of his disciples realize that he's the son of God. The demons do. And this pagan, you know, Roman heathen, uh, the only people who know. So Joseph of Arimathea obtained Jesus' body from Pilate, uh, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb. In chapter 16, uh, the women come to anoint Jesus' body. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so they might go anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, 
who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But then they looked up and they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. So it's already been rolled away, right? As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen! He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's where all of the earliest manuscripts end. That is the end of the book of Mark. That's it? That's it. That's where it ends. And you can kind of see why. Um, again, this is to a Gentile audience. All of these massive wonders, right? Uh, the resurrections, the multiplication of the loaves, crowds following Jesus everywhere, his triumphal entry into Jesus. You think stories of that would have spread into the area, um, but clearly they haven't. So Mark is explaining why no one's ever heard shit from anybody. <laughs> because the women who were told to go, they didn't tell Peter, they didn't tell any disciples, they, they told nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Surely the story of Jesus exists and many other manuscripts... Well, the scribes later on didn't like that, so they added, they tacked on 12 more verses, which is what we have in our Mark today, right? So let me reread chapter 8, or verse 8, and then I'll go straight into verse 9, you can tell how awkward that transition is. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. So, extremely awkward transition, like a sentence later, after Mark says, uh, the author of Mark says, they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid, you get, she went and told those who had been with him who were mourning and weeping. So, not only does it not appear in the earliest manuscripts, but that transition is remarkably awkward. So, it's nearly universal amongst uh, New Testament scholars that the book of Mark ends with them not telling anyone. And there's no resurrection appearance either. You just have that young man in the tomb, which, by the way, might have been the young man who fled naked. <laughs> right? <laughs> I guess he went straight to Jesus' tomb. I don't know. Chase me! Chase me! So, the... <laughs> Jesus' boy prostitute. That's where the Catholic priests get it. Uh, uh, They're just yeah. following the New Testament. All right, Matt, that is the end of the book of Mark. We're going to uh, take each of the Gospels in turn. Uh, we're, so we're going to go, we're going to hit Matthew next, then Luke and John. But in between those, we're going to probably do something else just to break up the monotony. What would you like to do next? Let's do a substantive review of Jesus Christ Superstar, the movie. How about witches? All right, that sounds awesome. We'll do witches. That sounds good. <laughs> so if you are the Christ, yes, the great Jesus Christ, feed my household with this bread, you can do it on your head. Uh, or has something gone wrong? Jesus, why do you take so long? Ah, uh, come on, king of the Jews. Hey, aren't you... Scared of me, Christ, Mr. Wonderful Christ. You're a joke. You're not the Lord. You are nothing but a fraud. Take him away. He's got nothing to say. Get out, you king of the... Get out, king of the... Oh, get out, you king of the Jews. <laughs> 